I'm just going to pray before I start. Um, dear Lord, uh, as we come before you, I just pray that you would uh, be here among us and speak to us today, Lord. Uh, yeah, just speak through your word. Here we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about uh, John 18. Um, so we've been talking the last few weeks about um, persecution and uh, just different aspects of that. So in chapter 15, uh, Leon talked about the fact that the world hates us um, and the world hates Christians because the world hates Christ. Um, and in chapter 16, uh, he talked about, you know, why. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world through us. Um, we convict the world by our association with Christ um, and by our actions. And so chapter 18 is uh, kind of a practical example of what it looks like to walk through uh, persecution and to... Um, confront the world and convict the world by what we say and what we do. So, this thing does work. I don't know what you're talking about. So, uh, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron uh, Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing what was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high, servant's, high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? All right. So... So kind of what I want to talk through in this first section um, is the idea that Jesus is choosing this path. Um, there's no doubt about it that, that Jesus could walk away. Uh, the, so the word detachment, uh, detachment of soldiers, um, refers, the, the Roman word for it referred to a group of about 600 soldiers. Um, so the idea is there's somewhere between two, three hundred, maybe six hundred soldiers coming to arrest Jesus with the officials of the high priest. Um, they were carrying weapons. They were coming out to arrest him in full force. And it's it's not absurd to to think that because you know we, we learn in in other passages in the Bible there's the clear evidence that the Romans often sent hundreds of of soldiers to guard or arrest one person. Um, so, but what's interesting about this is Jesus says, I am he. And then they all fall back and fall to the ground. 
right? So, like, I, I, I can't really express it any better than I say it there, but, like, if we think about it, like, you, here you are in this dark garden, and there's one guy standing there, and 600 soldiers, along with a bunch of other officials and Judas at the front, come up to him and say, we're here to arrest you. He says, who are you looking for? He says, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, that's me. And they all fall down to the ground. You know, like, I don't know. what They, all, they, they didn't all trip at once. I mean, it was like, <laughs> so anyway. So basically, the point is Jesus is in control. Um, and he he shows it again and again that any point through this passage, any point, any, at any point through this process of trial, he could walk away. Um, and the reason he doesn't is that he believes that God is in control, that God the Father is guiding this process, and that there's, there's a purpose to fulfill. Um, knowing what was going to happen, he walked into the garden. Uh, he did it so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. And then he says, he ends this passage with the, the phrase, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Um, and so basically what he means through all this is he is seeking the Father's will, and he's seeking to fulfill the Father's will. So if we go on, um, yeah, continue with verse 19. Um, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus and his disciples about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Asked those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, yeah. So I think um, as we walk through this, Jesus... I put up here, standing for truth. Um, Jesus says, why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And clearly it's offensive because the high priest, or the the officials, slap him in the face. So what was offensive about this? Um, We're not going to go in depth into it, but but Mark 14 um, has a fuller account of what happened. And basically the high priests, or the priests were called witness after witness to testify against Jesus. Um, and they, they couldn't come up with a charge that stuck. They couldn't come up with an accusation that fit. Um, and the witnesses, it says the witnesses' testimonies didn't agree and they didn't match. And so they were trying to convict him on a charge that carried the death penalty um, because they wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to kill him. And so what were they arguing about? Basically, they're arguing about this passage in Exodus 22:28, where it says, um, do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of the people. Um, so basically, what the, high priest is, or what the officials of the high priest are saying is, by saying this, why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. They're saying he's mocking the high priest. Right? And so they're saying this is, this is grounds for death um, because he's mocking the high priest. And what Jesus is, is saying is, is he's standing for the truth. The Pharisees and Jesus, just to step back, have, have a long history um, through the gospel, and we've talked about several passages where they argue back and forth. 
um, Jesus was presenting a new interpretation of the law, something that they um, that was very different from what the Pharisees had. And so the Pharisees um, and and the, the Sadducees, all the religious officials. Um, Basically, they had two very different interpretations of what the law meant. And Jesus' interpretation of what the law meant um, was that he was the fulfillment of the law, that he was it. Um, And so, in essence, he was taking on the role of the ruler of the people. Um, So when he says... um, when he says in verse 23, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong, but I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? He's saying, I'm right, you know, and I'm being consistent in what I'm saying, and I'm still holding to that interpretation of the law. So basically, um, this idea, the, the heart of what I want to get across here is that Jesus is standing up for the truth. And he's saying, this is right, this is what God says. Um, And even in the face of opposition, he's not backing down. He's not saying, you know, he's not giving in, and he's not giving the Pharisees ground to stand on. He's not saying, yes, your charge is correct. He's standing up and saying, no, you're still wrong. You know, you can kill me if you want, but you're still wrong. Um, Through this whole thing, yeah, courage. All right, so... All right. So then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Now don't miss that they don't give a charge. They end up coming to the end of the trial without being able to come to a conclusion. So they take him to Pilate and say, Kill him anyway. You know, we don't, if he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. So they, um, and Pilate said, take him himself and judge him by your own law. And Jews say, but we don't have a right to execute anyone. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It is your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What, have, what is it you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out to the Jews and said, I find no basis for charge against him. All right. So the third thing as we move through uh, this passage to recognize is that Jesus' focus is on the kingdom um, and on bringing the kingdom and bringing the renewal and regeneration uh, that is promised. Um, He had a purpose to fulfill and a calling from God which was the fulfillment of the law. So I'm going to, it's kind of out of order here, but I'm going to skip to the bottom and we'll come back to the top. So Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. So what kind of death? 
He's referring to his words in John 12:32. But I, when I am lifted up from, my earth, from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. What kind of death? Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. If a man guilty of capital offense is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him on the same day. Because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance. So, I bring this up to just kind of show the richness of the passage and what what Jesus is saying, that everything he says through the whole passage has layer upon layer of meaning deeper within it. So when, he, when it says this happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled, what he's referring to is when he says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I shall draw all men to myself. And what did he mean when he said that? Well, he's referring to Deuteronomy when it says the man who's lifted up on a tree bears the curse of God. And the significance of that is that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And so there's this deep meaning within it that everything that happens through this has a purpose. And it goes back to the idea that everything God... um, ordains in this process has a purpose. It's all significant. Um, And so when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Here thrown in contrast are two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world, the Roman kingdom, Pilate, standing here talking to Jesus. And Jesus basically stands up and says, and here he is standing for truth again, speaking about the kingdom that's going to come. And he's saying, my kingdom is not of this world. He's basically saying, I'm outside of your power. You can kill me, and you will kill me, but that doesn't give you power over me. The persecution that comes to Jesus doesn't give Pilate power over Christ. He's lifted up to fulfill the purpose of God. And ultimately, to bring glory to the Father. So everything that is done is Jesus bringing glory to the Father and to himself through his death and resurrection. So in John 13, I'm going to skip those for the sake of this passage here which I've already read part of um, kind of summarizes everything that I've talked about so far in terms of Jesus um, standing for truth coming with a sense of purpose to bring about the kingdom and fulfill it Okay, Um, and it's what he said just before he walked through this period of of persecution and death this is just before they go into the room and and then chapters 13, 14 15, 16, 17, are all over the space of a few hours. But this is just before. And he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. All right, so what's it all mean? Um, John kind of provides a contrast to Jesus um, in this passage, uh, and that's Peter. So Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not the one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood about on a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. So there's, there's a choice facing Peter, the same choice that Jesus had to face at the beginning of this passage. And that's, where is he going to stand? And what's he going to stand for? And if you think about it, it's a harmless question. And there's an expected answer. Right? She says, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Okay? There was no expectation that he was one of the disciples. Um, and when we talk about... So, in our life, um, we face questions like this all the time. Um, you know, you don't believe that, do you? You don't... Um, and so... It's a hard question to answer because Peter, in order to answer it honestly, has to step forward and say, yes, I'm one of the disciples. The default position is for him to just say, no, you know, whatever, I'll walk in. Um, But the effect of Peter's choice is interesting because he doesn't face persecution. He doesn't face trial. Okay, And that's, that's the choice that we make a lot in our lives. And in verse 25... As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And again, Peter denied it. Once he's inside, Peter can't step down. Right? He can't go back and say, Oh yeah, I am one of the disciples. It's much harder. So the effect of Peter's choice is that it becomes much harder for him to acknowledge Christ. Um... So it starts with kind of a harmless question. You know, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And he says, no. It becomes much more difficult for him. Uh, it becomes much more difficult for us. Think about when you're in a relationship with somebody and you first meet them. And you're first getting to know them. And it comes up and, and you don't talk about God or you don't acknowledge Christ. And then it's a lot harder to go back and say, yes, it is. So, um, my notes are all over the place. So, what does this look for, like for us? Um, so, the choice that Peter faces, um, I've kind of talked about in our own life, um, but we hear things all the time, like we need to be tolerant, um, we need to just kind of 
agree to disagree, to each his own, like these kind of sayings that we have in our culture that seem harmless on the face, of the, on, on the face but which if we don't confront when they come up, if we don't say, I believe this is true, I believe that Christ died on the cross, then we've set that in stone, not in stone, but we've set that as a guiding principle in our relationship with other people. Um, and then Christ is not acknowledged in our life, and it's harder to go back. Um, so, um, the actions of Jesus in this passage force people to make a choice. Um, they force people to choose either to seek Jesus, to believe him or not. And we face the same choice. Our lives as Christians should force the same choice in other people. Do you follow Christ or not? Do you agree with me or not? Um, and so, um, well, okay, so I'm just going to tell a little story. Um, so it's more of a confession. But um, So I had this friend um, in college who was really close to me. Um, we were really close friends. Um, and we would hang out. We could talk for hours about you know, all different sorts of subjects, art and music and um, life. And I mean, we just would talk and talk. You know, we'd just hang out and have, have a good time. We'd have fun together. Um, and when I was walking away from... God, uh, towards the end of college, he did, kind of did the same thing. Um, and we kind of walked together away from the church and away from God and away from everything we had believed. Um, and, but we were still great friends, and we'd still hang out and talk, and now we'd talk about like, how you know, Christians don't know what they're talking about or how they were like, fooling themselves and all that sort of stuff. Um, But then, and, and so he was in, he was in our wedding um, this five years ago. And right about that time, Adrian and I kind of came to a place where we started going back to church and we were uh, convicted uh, that, you know, the gospel was true. And we walked through a period of coming back to God. Uh, it was a long process. Um, but I never told him that that's what we were doing. Um, he lived in a different city, and we would just kind of talk, and we'd kind of continue talking about, like, art or music, and, you know, whenever the subject kind of started to come up, I'd kind of avoid it, change the subject. And the deeper I got in my relationship with God and the, the closer I began to walk with Christ, the harder it became to sustain that not telling my friend that I believed something different now. Um, and about three, three and a half years ago was the last time I talked to him. Uh, and I could never, like, I started thinking about it this week, but, you know, it's been away from my mind for a long time. Um, but to think about it, I think about the loss um, of opportunity, the loss of a friendship, 
um, that came because I was afraid to say, I believe something different now. I believe that Christ died um, for our sins. And I believe that um, his kingdom is coming. Um, So I give that as kind of an example of kind of what I'm talking about. It becomes when we when we fail to stand up for truth and for Christ, and when we decide, like Peter did, to walk the other way, um, yeah, it becomes more difficult, um, and we end up denying Christ again and again and again. Um, So, I guess, close to being out of time here, but... um, Yeah, so I just encourage you to think about in terms of like questions to go home with. Like what kinds of choices are you making? Um, and where in your life are you standing for truth? And where, um, where are you confronting the world? Um, because the church should be confronting the world and conf- confronting the assumptions of the world and confronting the ways of the world. We should stand like Christ did in a place where we force people to make a decision. Um, And we should live in such a way that forces people to make a decision. Um, And when we do that, that's when we begin to face persecution. So, you know, when we started talking about, you know, when Leon was talking about persecution, he started talking about why, you know, where in your life do you face persecution? I started thinking, you know, like, there's a lot of times I don't face persecution in my life. Um, And the reason for that is um, that we walk away from Christ um, when it comes time for persecution. And we don't make that choice to stand up and say, here I am. Um, Yeah. So just as an encouragement, um, Peter, who ran away and denied Christ, um, if you read through Acts, he ended up, Becoming, I mean, he was the apostle who Christ said, "Upon you, I'll be, build my church." In addition, when he, when it came time for him to die, um, he was martyred. And it, according to church tradition, um, Peter was sentenced to crucifixion. Um, and he said, "Christ was crucified. Um, that's too good of a death for me to die. I want you to crucify me upside down." So. Peter turned it around, so, I mean, I guess we can too, I don't know, so, I don't know where I'm going with that, but take it for what it is. So I'm just going to close by reading one passage that's not up here, Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, if you want to turn to it or whatever. Um, So... Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um, yeah, I think it kind of speaks for itself. So, 
I'll end with that. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so, now's the time for uh, tithe and offerings. Um, if you're new with us, um, we consider this an act of worship. Um, so, don't feel obligated. This isn't um, us just trying to get your money. It's uh, an act of worship for Christ's followers that we uh, contribute to the work he's doing in the community. So, um, of course, if you do feel led, uh, by all means. Uh, so, yeah. All right.